He, and he's and he's like that, but more so. Yes, totally. He's kind of a cross between that and a Rip Torn character, maybe from Larry Sanders. <laughs> maybe. Kind of. Something <laughs> like that. Crowding the garage. I'm Corey Culp. I'm Freddie Wall. Oh, we got two thirteen Kickstart for you. Day before Valentine's Day. What? I'm not going to even say what happened yesterday. You know what happened. I hope you enjoyed the commercials. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the game and all that fun stuff. We mentioned briefly last week, or was it last week? Uh, yeah, it was last week. Week before with that. That um, well, people already know that you're on location in Atlanta, and you do your whenever you have a chance in your on location. And you, you try to give yourself a little treat for your birthday. Yeah. And even though it's a, it's been some time after your birthday, but you gave yourself a treat and usually try to see a show. And you saw a show. I did. Uh, yeah, man. I saw Mellencamp on uh, Friday night, Friday the 10th. Right um, yeah. It, it, and I saw him at the Fox Theater, which is a beautiful, beautiful venue here in Atlanta, uh, in Midtown, um, the historical Fox Theater. But man, this show was fucking, you know, you know, I love Mellencamp anyway, but- right. You know, sort of see this is God probably twenty years since the last time I'd seen him, and you know, you always wonder. You hear, oh, he had a heart attack. You, you know, all these things, and you know, John still smokes and uh, all those things, and so you know, like, okay, well, what what is the show going to be? I mean, I knew it would be good, but man, I can't even really put into words how good without <laughs> yammering on for the entire kickstart. But uh, the show was exceptional, man. No opening act. He, there was a, there was a, a video um, of uh, classic movie clips from things that obviously have inspired John. You know, it starts out with a clip from Sidney Lumet's The Fugitive Kind and, you know, and then rolls into things like Giant and Streetcar Named Desire and John Huston's Misfits and HUD. And, it, it, and so you get this 25-minute clip of these iconic bits from those films. And then, then, then the lights sort of come up and you realize that this stage set is got a lot of these sort of elements built into it. Like there's the staircase and things from streetcar and there's mannequins placed around the stage uh, as a representation of these sort of uh, Americana, simple, light, simpler time. It, it was really a beautiful stage set. And then, you know, then out came John and the band and they went right into uh 21 song set that lasted, uh, God, almost two hours. And it was amazing. They played everything. Here's the thing. Everything they played, I wanted to hear. And some, there were some surprises. It leaned heavy on the Lonesome Jubilee, which is one of my favorite records. And not, not surprisingly, because I feel like it's probably, if I was to ask him, maybe it's his favorite record. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but um, even as a casual fan, there were some deep cuts from uh, albums like he played a beautiful version of Jackie Brown from the uh, Big Daddy record and uh, you know a few songs from some of the newer stuff that maybe people weren't quite as familiar with but I would say everybody sitting around me knew all the words to all those songs so it was it was a great night I mean he sounded amazing 
You know, he looks great for his age. He's still got that rebel badass swagger. So seeing those movie clips at the beginning from HUD and Marlon Brando films and Giant and et cetera, you know, you can, you can see how that stuff sort of shaped John as a young kid. And man, the, like I said, the band was phenomenal. Still his original guitar player. They've been in the band with him for 50 years. I don't even know. I mean, I've already rambled on for three or four minutes, but it was a great show. <laughs> Do you have any questions? <laughs> Caller number two. I was so tied up at work on Saturday and I was just catching up with you, just making sure we are cool for recording. And I, I'm like, oh shit, it's Saturday. It was, it just wasn't, even though I knew we were recording, I forgot it was Saturday. I'm like, oh, you went to your show last night. How was that? And then as I'm talking to you, waiting for you to hear, or texting you, waiting for you to hear back, uh, hearing back for you, I looked it up on setlist.fm to see the setlist. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a great site. I've mentioned it before, but, and someone was really on top of it. Four or five people had seen the show and entered their, uh, their updates. So they kind of shaped the set list and making note of those clips that were playing some, I guess there was one or two clips that were played before a song too. Oh yeah. But I thought that was so neat. And there was a video that I sent you and it's the only video at that time that I could find and. Uh, if there's more to post in the show notes, I will, but I will definitely post this one where it's like uh, full the full up close and personal. And definitely we would say front row right against the stage. Oh yeah, man. Uh, performance of him doing cherry bomb. I, I love, I, as much as I sit there and say, I hate people with their phones at shows. I'm always thankful that somebody's there doing something so I can see something I can't see. And it sounded great. Uh, and you can see, by the way, you'll be able to see one of the little mannequins that, that you're yeah. referring to in the background. But no, it was so good. And right away, I was like, going, you know what? I was playing in LA. <laughs> yeah, right. And we, which we talked about during uh, last week's Kickstart. If you're back, we're definitely going because I just, he sounded so good. And, you know, again, for a man who's 71, he, he sounds great. I, don't, I hate to say that, make that reference to Ozzy when Ozzy would get up there and do his thing, even in, even up in his age. Doesn't matter. Just he still sound. His John sounded great, and and I'm like, I, I, you know what? There are worse things I could do for two hours of my life and go check out John Mellencamp. Yeah, I mean, the, the show was great. I mean, the thing about you know his voice is it, it it's lived in definitely. It's always yeah. sounded. It was it's always been lived in, but like now, you know, it's it's just twenty years, thirty years further down the road. I mean, when you think about the fact that American Fool turned forty last year, right? Right kind of crazy. And, you know, John was 31 when that record broke, you know, and he wasn't 22. By the time Lonesome Jubilee came out, he was near, he was close to 40. So his career spans 50 years at this point. Right. You know, that's when he broke into the music business and went into New York. We left art school and uh, got a record contract. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best way of describing his voice has always been lived in it. It's a character voice. It's not one of those technically proficient singing voices. And that's usually what, you know, we're drawn to. Um, this is an American idol. Nobody needs to sound, you know, run these amazing vibratos. Character in voice has always been something that's moved me as much as anything when it comes to a performer. And I think that's why, like, you can listen to somebody like John after all these years and, yeah, it's like we're older, so our ears are a little older too. <laughs> so it kind of goes along with his voice going along with it, but, but he still sounds like John, you know, it's like you said, yeah. he's it just, it's just 40 years later. That's all. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of cigarettes and, uh, life has happened between the, you know, the last time 
Well, from the first time, definitely. The first time I saw him was on the Lonesome Jubilee tour. So that was like 87, 88. Right. Um, and then maybe I saw him on Big Daddy, possibly. But then not again until he was on, you know, a few years ago. Well, a few years ago. 12, 14, 15 years when he was out on tour with Fogarty. Right. Uh, I went with my dad. It was great. Time. I mean, it was great then. And this show didn't disappoint. I mean, there's one thing I'd like. Uh, there, there's a there's a beautiful piece in the film where uh, he introduces he, the real life, which is uh, the second track on um, the Lonesome Jubilee. Instead of playing the song, like 15 years ago, Joanne Woodward had done a, a spoken word at this poet, like it's, it's it, and it, it was treated as poetry, and they played her spoken word version of the real life. So that was the one. Moment like where you know they where they sort of the band checked off for the stage for a second and and you were just sort of able to hear Joanne Woodward do a spoken word to what what I always thought was a great song off of uh, the Lonesome Jubilee and I had never heard it I wasn't even aware I think maybe I knew at some point that that had happened right. but it was really nice I mean the dude the crowd was silent it was a nice moment you know to sort of hear that and reflect on uh, you know life with. 3,500 people, whatever, how many other people were in there was cool. I didn't know what that meant on set list when they, when somebody had mentioned the Joanne Woodward, I think she said spoken word. Yeah. I figured so it was just somebody's ways interpreting it. Maybe it was something from a movie and I wasn't sure what it was. And so, I mean, I'm, that's interesting now that it, that, and that it was a spoken word thing, maybe a pop up somewhere. Where you can yeah. You it. could, maybe we can link it into the, uh, um, into the show notes. When I saw that in there, that's what I was referring to. I thought it, I thought it was just a clip from a movie, but after your explanation of the beginning, it made sense that oh, it's got to be a clip of the movie of a movie or from uh, from something that she had done. The spoken word is even way cooler. <laughs> it's way cooler. Yeah, man, and it's Joanne Woodward doing it. You know, and she was probably seventy because I think she's ninety one or ninety two now. So if it's fifteen, you know, she's like seventy five then. And you know, it's this beautiful sort of spoken word interpretation. Of the song. And, you know, if you're, if you're familiar with the song off of the album, yeah, if we could, if we can find it, we would definitely link it to the, to the uh, show notes. Cause it, it was really a nice moment during the show. She's 92. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. If you, if he hasn't come around to you guys yet, take a peek and look and see, I'll, I'll, I'm going to put the, the tour link in, in the show notes. So you guys can take a peek and see if it's something you want to go check out. Uh, there's lots of, lots of artists over the years that I've always said, yeah, I'd like to go see him or I'd like to go see her, go see them. He's definitely somebody I've never seen live outside of a live aid performance later on, uh, seeing him pop up on award shows, like doing some kind of uh, tribute to somebody. I've wished he could have his Bonnie Raitt moment like she had during the Grammys. I'd like to see him be able to have the kind of resurgence and remind the, the music world that he's still here in, in a way that's a little more global than a 3000 seater at the Fox Cedars and as cool as that is. Yeah. I mean, I would say that the show, uh, look, I would rather, I would rather have seen him in a, in a space like this. And probably, I think he's playing at the Dolby theater in Hollywood is yeah. what he's playing. Yeah. And I would rather see him in a place like that than say like an arena, like Bruce, Bruce, I mean, Bruce's shows are built for that, but this is more intimate. The last time I saw John, I think it was at the bowl. Um, and that was great too. But to me, his music, it, it's, it's way more personal, especially the set sure. that he's chosen to play on this tour, the Up Close and Personal Tour. So seeing him in, a, in this sort of setting, as opposed to seeing him in a, you know, a bigger arena or stadium, which 
I, I don't know that, you know, that outside of farm aid and stuff, I, you know, I, I feel like John's music, it translates better in a, in a smaller, more intimate place. Right. Here's the thing. He's one of those guys. And I always ask people, what, what do you listen to? Do you listen to the lyrics or do you listen to the music? Because, you know, he's always been known for what he's using instrument wise and, you know, accordions and violins. And, but if you're listening to the lyrics, it, there's a poetry to the lyrics, which uh, I feel translate better in a, in a space like this and, and what the, the venues he's playing on this tour. So especially at his age and there's a lot of interplay with the audience. He, he, you know, he not to where you're like, Oh, come on, dude, just play music. But there are nice moments. He's very interactive with the audience when he, when he wants to be. And, you know, he's charming and he's, he's got a nice banter back and forth without seeming like he's vamping. You know, you get all the music you want is what I'm saying. Right. That's the kind of seating you want to see somebody in. You don't. Yeah. I was talking about Hall & Oates playing um, shit. Where were they at? Uh, when they were at the Hollywood Bowl. That's not bad. You, you want to see them in a place where you can move. Right. You know, I don't want to like, I don't want to be at some GA show where for like Hall & Oates. Even even far more intimate. I don't need to be that intimate. I need room. I need room to move when I see a show like that. Same thing with Mellencamp. I need room to you know. Oh yeah. To just enjoy it. It's funny because you when you start seeing artists like Bruce. Bruce has to play a bigger venue because he plays for three fucking hours and he's an old man, just like the rest of the E Street bands. They're they're old and they can't get up there and do that. So if they chose to do a, you know, an intimate setting scenario, it's harder for them because he can't play three, four or five times as many nights as he used to be able to. Like when he used to play the forum, he played like four or five nights in a row. Right. He can't do that anymore. He's got to play a bigger venue as much as possible. And he's doing fewer shows because of it. His voice can't handle it. <laughs> and tour life is fucking rough. Even when you're still up there with all the money that you got and make things super comfortable for yourself. You get to that point, yeah, dude, do I want to fucking do that like every damn, every other night? Or do I want to do that every third night? And that becomes that kind of thing. I was surprised he played for two hours set. We lamented about potential long set he can have. That's right up there with Bruce for for John. And the, I'm sorry, man, an hour 50 minutes with that set? Yep. Perfect. It's a good cornucopia of songs that you, some deep cuts in that you would never expect him. You wouldn't have thought he would play. I'm excited that there's there was a, that Jack and Diane's done as an acoustic set. Yeah, man, it was a great. I mean, it was and it was such a good version because it, it, it was in the middle of the, it was in the middle of the set, and there was a, like a nice dude. Everybody stood for the first like nine, ten songs. Nobody sat down, right. and then segued into that acoustic set where people you know sort of sat down, and then you know the minute he starts playing Jack and Diane, everybody's back up, acoustic or not. So uh, you know, and the the people who were there wanted to be there. It wasn't like. It's funny. The one thing I will say, <laughs> all the people around me didn't know how to operate their goddamn phones and they were all trying to shoot videos. <laughs> this woman in front of me, dude, she's going to be so, she was probably wanting to fucking kill herself when she got <laughs> home and discovered that she never pushed the fucking record button <laughs> on her camera. She's hold, holding her fucking phone in front of me the entire time. I'm looking at Mellencamp through her phone and I'm just, I wanted to say, Hey, look, you need to press that red button. I was always like, you know what? Fuck you. You're, you're blocking my view and you're not going to have any video. Too bad. I mean, that's why there's only one video. <laughs> yep. There's just one big red button in the middle that you got to push and she missed it. And the woman next to her was trying to explain to her to press it and, and her and her husband got all shitty with her about like, they thought she was trying to tell them to put the camera down and she was just trying to help them, but they were having none of that shit. And guess what? They got no video. So uh, awesome. Boo. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. That goes back to what we were saying earlier about it. Well, we made a crack about that saying, well, I did anyway, about people watching the, a show through their phone while they're standing yeah. right there. I'm like, you paid $200. I mean, I was specifically talking to a certain fan base where you sat there with, you pay 150, 200 bucks, 300 bucks for a seat where you stand there watching a show while their band performs right in front of you through your damn phone. I, I don't get that. Our generation and a little bit older are <laughs> trying to do the same damn thing and come in with nothing but annoying people around you. That's, that's right? awesome. I mean, it was, it was pretty hilarious. I mean, I, I just took one picture and put my phone back in the pocket because I, I don't need to record it. I'm there to enjoy it and live it, you know, and I know that right. it'll be all over YouTube anyway, if I ever want to go back and revisit. But I, I remember at the Prince show and Prince played the 25 nights in the road at the forum, he literally stopped playing and wouldn't start again until everybody put their phones away. Yeah. He told everyone, live in the moment, man. You're here with me. Yeah. This is for you and me. Two nights of that show. Uh, of that run, that 25 night run. And he didn't play the same set both nights. It oh. was, I mean, that's just thinking about this the other day and about older artists that we've seen. And obviously between him and Bowie or somebody I've talked about on this, on this show, like ad nauseum thing about Prince is he was, he was so impromptu. He would just kind of do something and just do it. I, I've read that about, you know, Mellencamp doing the same kind of thing early on. But, you know, at this point in his life, especially with a show like this, you know, you got to keep the, you rehearse what you're going to rehearse. The show is tight, has a very specific goal, which is, you know, when, when you talk about the, the little montage movies at the beginning, to me, that made a lot of sense that it was very, I don't, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but very well orchestrated to accommodate him. And you'll see in the video too, he, he's a, a monitor for his lyrics. And I don't blame him, dude. It's like, especially when he's picking songs that he probably hasn't sung since the tour that he he did the when he was promoting and supporting the record that those songs were on. So I don't blame him for having that kind of thing, you know. And, and it makes a, a lot of sense to me to have something like that. So when you see a show from Prince and for him to do twenty five nights and not have the same set any given night. Bowie was the same way to a lesser degree, but I just think these kinds of artists are just, you don't get them anymore. No. Even churches. Churches was a, like the last tour, Screen Violence Tour, they had a very specific show. They have a, they're very, their shows are very tight to a projection and to sound and to light. And it's all very, not once, again, not Hades were orchestrated, but very well produced. So you don't get to sway away from a set list very often. And they didn't. If you look again with, with their tour, if you looked at set list, you'll see every single night was exactly the same. Even when they popped over to Japan for a little while and the abbreviated set they did recently here for an iHeartRadio event. But it's fine. The artist is still there doing their thing. When you got somebody like John or Prince or Bowie getting up there and doing something. You know how we talked about with sports? We mentioned sports a lot on the show. I've always said, and we've been lucky in Los Angeles to see some of the best people that have ever played the game playing for a Los Angeles team. I said, I, even if you're not into a certain sport, I've always said, if you get a chance to see somebody that changed the game, you go see him. I've never seen a soccer game in my life. When David Beckham played for the Galaxy, I went to a game and he scored two fucking goals in the game. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> I was like, right. I've seen Gretzky numerous times. I saw Magic. I saw I saw several games in the Showtime era. 
those are the kind of performers we're talking about on the music side. If you have a chance to see somebody that changed music, that has a song that's been sampled 195 times by R&B and hip hop and, and other pop artists over the years, isn't that somebody you, you want to go see if they're still around playing? Fuck yeah. Yeah. No, 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 totally. I mean, like, like I, like I said, like there was part of me that was like, good God, when do I get back to LA? Could I, and I, I will be back. I'm just looking at the dates. Also, I was going to say for anybody who can see him in Fresno at the Soroyan Theater, do it because the Soroyan is a, is a theater, not unlike the Fox. It's, it's, it's a great uh, smaller venue where this kind of show will be phenomenal. Right. I, I, just, I was just look, sort of scrolling through the dates and, you know, the Dolby is a great theater. So that'll be a great show. The only drag is getting to Hollywood, but you know, that's kind of one of those things. Maybe you just park somewhere and <laughs> take the train. Yeah. It might be one of those situations. Exactly that. Just park in North Hollywood, pop. It's only one stop. You really have to get a train for one yeah. stop and you're there. Yep. The Dolby theater. I've only been there for one when it was still the Kodak and they did a, mm. a, a, a Paley Fest event that I went to. Dude, they got a rad lineup this year. Paley Fest. Yeah. Well, who's, who's there? The only thing I've ever seen at the former Kodak Theater, I saw the Ten Commandments the musical with Val Kilmer as Moses. Nice. <laughs> That's my only memory of seeing anything there. I love how much, like when you go on the Pantages website now, because I was checking to see when Wicked was playing again, because we were going to go see it and take Joey to see it just before the pandemic hit. It was actually scheduled. The touring company was going to be in town. Obviously got shut down, never happened. Um, and they're not even, who knows when they're going to come back for that. So Paley Fest has Mandalorian and Joey. I mentioned the Joey. They're doing Yellow Jackets. They're doing, for those of you that do enjoy uh, network television, Abbott Elementary, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And uh, those are the ones that give a shit because I, they always have, they rarely have something on Paley Fest that makes me think, what the fuck is that about? Well, there's a, what the fuck is that about? There's a late, late show with James Corden night. Who? That's what didn't, I'm saying. Didn't he just get canceled? I thought he did. I say he no, I mean, some he somehow avoided it. No, he got the show canceled. They they, they just canceled. They're not. Oh, uh, it's oh, it's done. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's even fucking cooler. Google it. I'm pretty sure they just canceled the show. Oh my god, they totally did. Yeah. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> oh my god, that makes it all the better. They can keep that Paley Fest going for his dumb ass now. I'm like, okay, dude, you know how fucking hard it is to get a late night show canceled? Yeah. Everybody that's been on a, on a late night show for the last 25, 30 years left on their own accord. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. And you know what? He was done for the moment Les Moonvest got in trouble. You knew James Corden was in trouble because he handpicked him. Yeah, I just, uh, it's funny because I, I kind of only heard peripherally about that stuff, but I, I got on my feed, it popped up the other morning, like just when I was opening my, uh, where you get your Apple news, like sometimes there's a story and I, and I clicked on something else and then it was like, but it was my, what I had clicked on was like the secondary story. And then there was the story about it being canceled and, uh, you know, there's a lot of people like, yeah, he's not a very popular fellow right now. no. <laughs> And that works out, by the way, because you imagine if this CBS had Super Bowl this year, you know he would have been all over it because they, the last time CBS had the Super Bowl, you were getting ads for his show like every, at least once every the third 30 commercial. minutes. Yeah, yeah it was, absolutely. It was bad, really bad. What I was saying before about, about Pantages, um, Pantages started um, noting all the Dolby Theater live performances too, which I thought was kind of cool. And that's why I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how much they had been, 
I want to say overflow, but they've been doing lots of live shows there. Do I think River Dance was there? River Dance. All right. So I've been trying to find something to watch that I can kind of just binge through and kind of just, you know, lament and and something short, nothing like the benching of like an hour long show or even a, an hour long streaming show. And so I started watching uh, episodes again on Showtime, the show created by David Crane and Jeffrey Cleric. And David Crane, of course, is famously known for creating and show running on the, the show Friends. So having given an opportunity to reunite with Matt LeBlanc for this playing himself in a very uh, elevated version of himself, kind of like how Rick Springfield was kind of a real dick on, on Californication. Yeah. Uh, even though he's kind of a dick in real life. <laughs> but this show is so funny. The premise of it is Stephen Mangan and Tamsin Grieg, they both play a married couple that created this BBC show that was on for four runs and won tons of awards. John Panko came along and said... John Panko from To Live and Die in L.A.? Or uh, Mad About You, John Panko? Yeah, Mad About You, John Panko. Same guy. Yeah. To Live and Die in L.A. Yep. I got a brain fart. I'm like, make sure I was going to get his name right. I always forget it. He's the network head that sees them and snatches them up. And he is grade A douche in this show. Grade A douche. And he and LeBlanc uh, don't like each other at all. It's pretty great. You can tell there's two dudes that have been in the business for a long time and had many run-ins that, so, that was so great, but they don't even refer to the run-ins. They just, there's just a clear understood thing there that they don't get along and they don't like each other but it's a super fun show anyway the couple comes here to do an american version of it which we've seen numerous times before sometimes two hits like the office and sometimes not what's super funny about the show is the moment they get here the married the, the couple start bending and changing everything that made it the bbc show funny from the point of having the lead recast to Matt LeBlanc, who's totally not who he's supposed to be on the BBC version. I don't want to give anything away about it because that, the show unfolding is what makes it so fun. It went five seasons. It's on Showtime, or in this case, Paramount Plus is where I watched it. If you're a fan of Friends or at least a little bit of, his, of LeBlanc's career, you'll appreciate the little jabs here and there. And again, as we say in the show, they don't make a meal of it. It is, the show as a whole is, it's a 41 episode meal in itself. It's like, there's little, you're, you're like, you're, it's, you're grazing for 41 episodes and it ends up making you very full at the end. It's kind of a great show. I guess I just finished it. You know how when you get to the last season of a show, especially a, a comedy like this, they're usually not very funny. Yeah. Like the end of like the last episode of Seinfeld. Yeah. This show, like the third episode, this last season is only seven episodes or eight episodes. The, the like third episode of that last season had me laughing so hard. And even though I hadn't seen it before, uh, it was like, I probably laughed more in that one episode than I did in any of the episodes. And I actually really, really, really enjoyed the show a lot. But there you go. Episodes. A lot of people haven't, aren't aware of it. And you know, cause it's hard to, it's got, it's got one of those titles where you're like, cause how often do we say episodes when we're recommending stuff to people? We're talking, sure. it's a generalization of as a noun, as opposed to a title of a show. I do want to say this. I'm glad that you did, you know, that you did identify John Pankow and not as John Pascow, the ghost from Pet Cemetery. Yeah, we don't want to do that. No, because you know, people will get confused. <laughs> like, what the fuck's he talking about? They'll be looking for Lewis Creed or, you know, 
Dale Midkiff, somebody. And like, I don't know what the fuck Corey was talking about. Tom Pankow. Yeah. Not, not Pascal. Show is super funny. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, or if you've never seen it, it popped around. Shit, when did it start? About 2011. So, I mean, it's, wow. it's, it's been around it's for a bit. 11 years, 12 yeah. years. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to give you something real quick and then, uh, you know, then we can call it quits. But I did stream something yesterday and I just put it on and I let it play all the way through. And I probably, that 90s show, I'm just going to say <laughs> it dropped on Netflix, I think on Friday or sometime this week. I really only retained anything from the first episode, which kind of sets the whole thing up. Uh, and I'm going to leave it at that. And I'm going to either have to go back and sort of revisit it or I'm going to let other people decide what they think of it. But uh, that 90s show is now on Netflix. So if you're a fan of that 70s show, uh, you know, check it out. And I'd be curious people's thoughts. I know what mine are from the first episode and parts of the rest of it, but somehow I looked up and they had all streamed. So um, it just seemed like one long episode to me over the course of a rainy, freezing, cold, stormy afternoon in Atlanta. Uh, but it is out there if that's your thing. And if you're a fan of that 70s show, check it out. There you go. All right. Woo! Yeah, man, there's another extra large kickstart for you guys. Another tasty morsel. <laughs> or if you want to follow the show on the Twitters or Letterboxd or Insta, it's all the same, at Karate Pod. If you want to follow Corey on, on Insta, it's at Culprit97 or on Letterboxd at Corey underscore Culp. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at Rollo 33 on your Instagram or at Red Foreman at Letterboxd.com. That's Red Foreman at Letterboxd. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>